1: Guest today is a friend, Pastor Miles Benedictus, who is the lead pastor of Cross Connection Church in California. Uh, during today's interview, we're going to discuss his church plans in light of the COVID 19 restrictions, some of his past and current projects, and his future goals. Hey, if you want to learn more about him, find out about his podcast that I enjoy, just go to Pastor Miles, M I L E S.com. So, without further ado, let's get into this conversation on this edition of the Victor March Show. Brother, welcome.
2: It's great to be here with you, Victor. Looking forward to this.
1: Yeah, this, this is going to be fun. How's your bride?
2: Uh, she's doing very well. The kids are doing spectacular. They keep us incredibly busy, as I'm sure you know, especially over the last year with everything moving to, well, here in Southern California to the Distance learning, which has been an incredible challenge. So
1: yeah, it's re- real lockdown. I, I know it's been tough on families, even though we're grandparents of four kids and we have three adult children. We actually have two teenagers still at home. So people, I get it. I've had to play principal, county supervisor, and director of the board of education. I'm sure you wear all those hats perfectly well. I do. And then I just do whatever my wife tells me to do. Yeah. That's, that's my plan too. Wise man. Now, Miles, I don't, I don't bring a lot of pastors on the program compared to some of the other fellows that I, ladies I bring on probably I would say right now, because I've been a little off put with pastors and how they handled COVID and people that you and I both know that, Uh, we were kind of surprised at their lack of leadership and worse even still some of the positions that they took regarding decisions that had to be made politically specific to one you can get rid of everything else specific to one children being protected in the womb that's non-negotiable for men like you and i right yeah i mean as I've shared with my church over the years, as it relates to that specific
2: issue, we don't see that as a political issue at all. That's a moral issue. Thank you. You know, I don't don't see any reason to try and bend that to be a political thing. It's purely moral when it
1: comes down to that. Yeah. The battlefield might be the political realm when it comes down for protecting kids. And I think we have to be responsible and solid Christians to do our civic duty, protect kids in that realm. And of course, we're always trying to win hearts and minds and, see God's spirit change people's idea of that. So uh, thanks for standing in the gap. Thanks for doing the right deal. And let me say something about you. I going to just talk about you right in front of your face. It's better than behind <laughs> <time> my <I> back. <laughs> well, I, I do what's called good gossip behind somebody's back. You know, you're not a guy. You're not a man that tries to act a certain way. You just are. You've reached that place of just being you. I've known you for a lot of years. And you know what? I'm just, I'm proud of you on so many levels. I've seen you go through hard times, retain your integrity, but you're not a man pleaser. And that's one of the biggest things I see in pastoral positions. They're just fearful. They're fearful of people. They're fearful of hurting somebody's feelings Um, and issues that they believe in but you've taken some hard stands and look where it's turned out after all these years. Um, you did the right thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I understand. I was just on a meeting a couple hours ago with about 20 pastors in the Southern California area. Again, always through the video stuff lately, but I understand where some of these guys are coming from. I understand the concerns that they have, but you know, realizing very, very quickly that, you, you can only please some of the people some of the time. And if you're sure. working really hard to please everybody all the time, you know it's not a position to be in if you're going to be a pastor. And yeah. you know, we, we obviously have, for lack of a better term, we have a script. We have 66 books of a script that we follow. And as we speak those things that become sound doctrine, you're going to offend people. And so if you're looking to have a really big following and
1: a lot of likes and a lot of subscribers, then this could be a challenge for you. Yeah, wrong profession. If you're not getting hated on in the right way at times for moral positions that you take in biblical standpoint, then you're probably not taking a good enough stand. But for those guys out there who just, you know, they're being idiots in so many ways and good people try to tell them how the cow eats the cabbage. That, that's not courage. That's you just being a dumb, dumb. So I was a pastor and I tell people I wasn't great at it, uh, but it gave me a heart to understand the challenges and struggles and the victories that a senior pastor goes through and his family. And I think the body of Christ needs to look at pastors as first men knock off the celebrity status thing. If they've got a gift that they've honed or some talents, well, great. But they're just men who are running in a lane that they're called to do. And it's difficult. So uh, I think that Christians need to both pray, encourage, protect their pastor, but then also make sure that he can answer hard questions when asked. So some of the hard questions right now are just the basics, right? What, what do you actually believe? That's, that's what I think people do. You get offended if somebody addresses you and says, Hey, we're thinking about coming to church. What do you actually believe And this, 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 would that offend you?
2: Well, you know, I mean, obviously we, we constantly are doing the same thing Jesus said. I mean, you see Jesus in the gospels a number of times where he just says, come and see, you know, I mean, I don't know what things are going to offend someone when I'm talking to them the very first time or they call the church or they send an email to try and connect with us. And it's like, well, you know, you should come and see, come and see what the Lord might speak to you because I'm sure you've noticed this too, as you, as you speak before crowds and you preach through the scriptures and you're talking about, you have a point that you want to get across as you're preaching through the scriptures. And then you get a line of people who come up to you afterwards. And they said, you know, pastor, when you said such and such, and in your mind, you're going, I didn't even say that at all. But the spirit of god is speaking to that person in that moment through the word and so you know i i realize there are things that that we're always going to say that are going to offend somebody when they come into the church or if they tune in on youtube or whatever it may be and you know maybe occasionally we'll get some dislikes and we'll get some people who unsubscribe and don't like what we have to say but ultimately we we work and strive to please christ and that's what we want to be able to do and To see people transformed from a place of brokenness and a place of sin, to be transformed by the renewing of their mind to a place where they're pleasing and walking in alignment with the the scriptures and with the nature of Christ. Along the ways there's some things that are chipped off, broken off, sanded off, and that can be painful, but the finished product is really good. So we try to keep the the focus on the finished product and where we're trying to lead people to a place where they're transformed and more and more into the likeness of God's children. That's,
1: that's my aim. I love it. Hey, we're talking to Pastor Miles Benedictus. He's pastor of Cross Connection Church in Escondido, California. And, um, he's got a really good podcast and that's really what prompted me. I mean, we've been friends for a long time, but, that's what prompted me to said, you know, I got to get him on the show uh, because you took a stand on something that's very controversial these days among Christians specific to manhood, specific to what does a man, let's just say a Christian, yeah. man look like. And uh, you are, I would consider you a theologian. You've been a teaching professor position at a Bible college for better part of 15 years. Mm-hmm. You're an, you're an outstanding expositor, uh, an expositional teacher. So what happened when you were at a, at the college one day when you had a conversation with a few young men and there were some girls standing around, tell the audience what transpired. Yeah. You
2: know, I mean, that was probably right around the same time that you and I met Victor. And, you know, I don't know how many of the people that come on your show here have actually been punched by you, but I'm one of the rare <laughs> few that can say that I've sparred with you a little bit been punched by you. <laughs> Tried to get some licks in there while we've sparred together, but I don't know. You, you did, did your it. part. Yeah.
1: You did your share.
2: So I have a, I have a background in training in martial arts as well and uh, have a black belt in Taekwondo and Hapkido And, um, so I, I understand something a little bit differently than some of my other peers when it relates to defense. And one of the things that, that I noticed very quickly when I started to get into martial arts is that your perspective shifts and changes. And, and you can watch this take place when you're training people, you see about 90 days into their training. There's like a switch that goes off in their mind. And it's not a switch of being a bully or feeling like they can beat people up, but it's a switch of courage where they realize, I think I could defend myself. And prior to that, I found that a lot of people lack courage and it's understandable. I mean, I don't think we're born with courage necessarily. And so, you know, I've seen that in guys that I've trained with or that I've helped train as it relates to martial arts. And those guys who have been trained in martial arts, they're not the kind of people to go around and start a fight But they also are not the kind of people to stand by idly when they see someone being injured or being taken advantage of. And so they understand the need to defend the defenseless. So I was teaching probably about 12 years ago, teaching the book of Isaiah at a Bible college. And as we were going through some passages in Isaiah, there are some very clear shall we say, exhortations to the children of Israel through the prophet Isaiah 2,800 years ago, where he's saying that God's going to hold you accountable for not defending the cause of the fatherless, the widow, the stranger in your midst. So these were, you know, categories of people who were oppressed minorities in that period of time. The orphan, the widow, and the stranger. They had no one to negotiate on their behalf, to stand on their behalf, especially in the culture in which they lived. And so they were routinely taken advantage of. And it was the task of the leaders of Israel, and at that time, the kings of Israel, and those that would do their work to defend the cause of the fatherless, the widow, and the stranger in their midst. And that wasn't being taken care of. So God was going to hold them accountable for that. And he certainly did hold them accountable for that. So I made the point in my class that we need to make sure that we hold in balance the whole counsel of God, because Jesus does give some teaching, and the New Testament writers give some teaching that promotes a, a non-violent stance on certain things and I recognize that and I think anybody reading the scriptures honestly will recognize that but you have to hold that in balance with the whole counsel of God in that God will not hold you guiltless if you do not defend the cause of the fatherless in the window so after the class as is always the case you have people who come up and they want to ask questions and as a teacher I think you probably would agree with this, that's the part you love you love to have that dialogue back and forth with people I mean, it's one thing to stand up and give a monologue, but it's great when you can have that interaction with people. So I would look forward to that. And this group of, you know, four or five guys came up and I could tell instantly just on their kind of demeanor, they didn't, they didn't agree with me. And so we started to talk and they started to talk about nonviolence, pacifism, the way of Jesus, these kind of terms that they use. And and I said, that's perfectly fine. So much as it relies upon you live peaceably with all men, you know, Paul says that in Romans. And so we should do our best to, to live in that way. But, and there was a group of girls standing off to the side. I said, if one of these girls is being taken advantage of, violated, and you don't do anything. And you say, it's because I'm a pacifist. I would say, I'm not sure it's because of your pacifism. It might be because of your cowardice.
1: Whoa, 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 whoa.
2: (laughs) The girls kind of chuckled. A couple of guys didn't look too happy about that. But I think the point came across. And what's fascinating is, you know, one of the other teachers at that school for many years is another mutual friend of ours who... Um, Justin Alfred, who, you know, I don't know, Justin's probably in his late 70s, early 80s at this point. But he's a guy who he wouldn't put up with someone, you know, taking advantage. Oh, no. But he's also got incredible mercy. I mean, his his own daughter was murdered. Yep. And this is a guy who knows strength and control, but he would defend others if needed.
1: I think that's very important. Yeah, and he's really a, a solid martial artist, by the way. I've actually been hit by him. What you brought out, and how you challenge these young men is needed. This is the only way to do it. I mean, fathers to sons, but, you know, I have a friend I was talking to recently. We're talking about masculinity and manhood and all this type of stuff. And, and I could tell he wanted to, he wants to go to the next level, right? We we all want to progress on our journey. And he goes, man, yeah. You know, I was raised by my mom and I thought, You know what? Good self-assessment. And there's some guys that just didn't have a dad to bring them to that place, right? Uh, I mean, I was one of them. So I struggled, kind of looked at my brother's examples, and then I ended up joining the Marine Corps uh, as a young man. But what we're talking about is not egotistical, knuckle-dragging, you know, brutes. I want to create and pull out of every young man and man the dangerous gentleman. Mm-hmm. That's my goal. I, you know, and we have a leadership training center here in Colorado, uh, where we do, we see that, but you are someone I would consider a dangerous gentleman who polite, loving, caring, a good husband, father. And yet if put in a situation where you had to make a decision to defend the innocent, you would. And I believe even unto death, because we don't think of our life as something precious beyond standing up for what's right. So a warrior's heart. And I think most all men want that. Maybe just don't know how to get there. So you've been challenged on this. There's no doubt. I, I mean, when I posted your really good podcast on this, um, I saw people challenging you, uh, which it makes me scratch my head. Those type of people don't challenge me much, probably because they know Victor can't articulate it well in a theological way, so we won't waste our time with him. But you can, and you do. So talk to the genuine person who really believes Jesus was meek and mild but forgets the part about him flipping tables and making it and and that the Holy Spirit is just loving, didn't kill people, you know, smote them dead. Uh, talk to those people who, if you have ears to listen, listen.
2: Yeah. I, I think that it is important to accept that there's going to be a tension between this teaching on defending the defenseless and nonviolence so much as it depends upon you live at peace with all people totally and and that tension is not necessarily a bad thing because that tension hopefully keeps us in a balanced perspective you know we shouldn't go around like bullies looking for a fight i don't think that we have any endorsement in the scripture for that but we should also recognize that if it's in the power of our hand to do so we should do good in the moment and and i think that we have the moral standing to do that from the scriptures. And so when you look at the, the theological writings on this over the last 2000 years, you know, everything always exists in a context. So when I had that con, uh, that conversation 12 years ago with a group of students, it existed in a, in a current cultural context at that moment that was important. These guys had all grown up in the post 9-11 situation. Their most formative years had been watching us engaged in foreign wars. And there are certainly things that were going on that were not perfectly moral in the way that we execute those things. I mean, if you look at all the drone strike stuff and you look at, there's plenty of things that were not right in the way that we handled ourselves as it relates to that. So I understand where out of that cultural context, you have this view of, well, Jesus taught nonviolence. Yes, he did. Absolutely. 100%. And uh, I don't, I don't argue that that isn't in the Sermon on the Mount and other places in the Gospels. I think that there's some nuance in the way that we need to understand how those things are to be interpreted and understood, but it has to be held in that balance and that tension with what we read in the Old Testament, or even at the end of the New Testament when you get to the book of Revelation. And so in those situations, we should not be bullies going about looking for a fight, but when you have power and when you are in a position of authority, and like it or not, the United States of America has been in a position of, uh, you know, authority and power on the world stage for a long time. The theologians throughout the ages have tried to deal with how do you handle that power in a just way? So when Jesus is teaching to a group of people in, you know, first century Judea, yeah. and he's saying, if a Roman soldier calls you to go with him one mile, go with him two, which according to Roman law during that time, if a Roman soldier bids you to carry his stuff, you had to carry it for a certain period of time. He says, go twice as long. mm these are people who were in a political position where they had no power and where they had no power. Jesus talks about submission, which is incredibly hard. I mean, submitting to authorities is very, very challenging, but then you fast forward 300, 400 years, well 300 years post Constantine where now the church has state authority and maybe not in the best ways you can go into all kinds of discussions about that. But on the backs of that, You have the church and church fathers, theologians, like Augustine, begin to talk about just war theory. So Jesus teaches us, the gospel teaches us, how to handle ourselves when we have no political power. And we see the turn the other cheek. We see resist not evil. We see these exhortations. But then how does the gospel inform us when we do have political power? And I think that's what Augustine is talking about. And many of the theologians post-Constantine, they're saying, well, how do we now handle power when we have political power? What does it look like to be right, just, to have a war with justice? And that's where you get into this whole discussion of just war theory. When is it right? When is it okay to take the life of another? And we have to be able to answer those questions. And I, you know, I've read a number of books on this topic, and I've looked at what you know historical theologians have had to say I've looked at what contemporary theologians and scholars have to say about this. And I think that one of the things that we fail to recognize is the cultural context in which it's happening. And Augustine was speaking into a cultural context where now the church has to negotiate how do you act when you have power? And we haven't always done well with that. I mean, church history is filled with stories of us not handling ourselves correctly.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the things I would say, too, is I get a little leery when pastors take certain positions regarding war or defense or fighting when they've never themselves entered the arena. I think they have to tread lightly and seek counsel from men who've had to do the deal, chose the profession, had it, and get to know them from first responders to, you know, like us, you know, our teams are made up primarily of special operations persons. I remember being in Iraq on a, you know, humanitarian missions trip. We were trying to recover some kids and women from ISIS territory and it was bad. And a couple of few ISIS guys had just been captured and the Iraqi general pulled me over and he said, you know, please come here, talk to them. So I'm talking to them and, um, I had to make a decision who would live and who would die. And it's not that I was going to put a bullet in their head, but the reality was this general was looking to me to give them insight on what I thought. And I never forget praying. And it was wild because somebody captured a picture of it. I should probably post that picture. I'm kneeling down and, you know, there's two young men and then there's an older ISIS guy who's been injured. My dog's behind me. And I just prayed, visited with the, and and I knew, it's what I told the general. I said these two younger guys are worth saving. You know, they they're scared. They looks like they were conscripted into ISIS, yeah. being forced as slaves. And I said they they're worth trying to rehabilitate and help. The guy on the ground was a wicked worker of iniquity that was unrepentant in every way. And so I had different thoughts about him. But, you know, I want to talk to you more about the reality of violence as it relates to war and people defending themselves. Even Christians in Iraq when attacked by ISIS and how they think and thought, because we talk a lot about persecution but really few people, Christians in America, have ever known someone who was really persecuted to the point of people dying, family members being killed or tortured. And you're a well-versed brother as understanding the body of Christ. But I'm wondering, can we continue this conversation? It's so good. I'd like to carry it into a second episode. I'd love to. Guys, I'm talking with Pastor Miles Benedictus. Uh, you ought to go to his website and sign up for his podcast. It's PastorMiles.com. He made it easy, probably for people like me. Uh, Fantastic podcast, solid. And it's one that you want to put on your playlist for sure. He's a pastor out of Escondido, California. He is a, a solid brother. I'd call a worshiper and a warrior and those are hard to come by these days so thank you for being on this show and thanks for hanging around we'll do another one sounds good thank you very much and wherever you are whatever you're doing wherever god has you run in the lane run run hard run fast good for his glory so go get it done